the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So the only object that is strong enough and authoritative enough is the person of Christ fulfilled through the work of Christ on the cross. So I need to believe in Him. Now even that in itself is a little fuzzy because what do I believe in Him about? Do I believe He's a great religious leader? Do I believe He started Christianity? Do I, what do I believe about Him? So saving faith is wrapped up in I need to hear the truth. I need to believe it as truth. Watch this, watch this. Now I need to rely upon that as being true. In other words, I internalize it. I engage it. I'm placing all my confidence in that. So now, saving faith in Christ is I need to know that Christ is the Savior. I need to know it's not by any good deeds that I do that gets me into heaven. I need to know that by faith in Him I can have eternal life. I'm still not saved yet. Now I have to say I know that intellectually. Now what I'm going to do is put my full weight of confidence in Christ. I believe Him. I believe in Him. And he becomes the object of all of that, and I have eternal life. Well, yeah, I get eternal life, but I get a whole lot more than that. Let's go back to the passage of Ephesians. It says, having also believed in him, you were sealed. Now, circle that word sealed. I think all of you know enough about what the word seal means. It means you're kind of locked in, sealed in him, in Christ now. That's the in him, because that's the context, in him, 11, 12, 13. And what are you sealed in him with? You're sealed in Christ, sealed, locked into Christ with the Holy Spirit. All right, you got that in your Bible? Are you following along? And then it says, a promise, which is cool. That's really cool. Because Jesus was saying before then, I promise you I'm going to send you the helper. Here, Paul, on the other side of all this says, yeah, remember, 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 remember? This is the one that was promised to come, the Holy Spirit. So you are sealed the moment you believe in Christ. And that's a promise that he fulfilled. All right, you got that? Go to verse 14. Who, not it, who, the Spirit, is given to you and me who believe in Christ, given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance. In other words, we get the Spirit until we finally get to heaven. With the view to the redemption of God's own possession. It means He owns us. We'll see that in a moment. And why is all that? It's just not so we have fire insurance. It's so that uh, it all goes to the praise and the glory of the Lord. You can leave Ephesians now and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So when do you get the Spirit? The moment you believe in Christ, okay? When you trust in Him, you get the Spirit. One of the purposes of the Spirit is to seal you. It's a promise that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, and it's all for the praise of His glory. Now we're going to look at a verse, a couple of verses on Christ, Holy Spirit, in you and me. Verse 16, 316. I love the 316. Some of you that get a little bored with your devotions, take all the the books in the New Testament, start there and look at all the 316s and see what kind of a devotional you might write for yourself just by doing that. Look in chapter 3, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians. It says this, Do you not know that you, that you and me who are believers, because this was written to believers in Christ, are a temple of God, 
So it's not this building. It's not something we erect. All right. You are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells where? In you, in you, in you, in you and me who knows Christ as Savior. So now we have the spirit of God in you and me. All right, leave John 3.16, or 1 Corinthians 3.16, and go to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Some of you are taking notes, maybe make it a chain reference in your Bible. I want you to know that's a great thing that you're doing. That way you can go back to it and look at it again. Look at verse 19, it says, And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now look up here for just a moment. Look up here. A moment ago, I was making the connection that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. I will continue doing that today if I have enough time. Here I want you to see that in chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, that we just studied, it says that you, body, is the temple of God. Here it says you, body, believer, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which now it's easy to draw that connection that the Spirit is Christ, the Spirit is God, and so in a sense you are still seeing the deity in action in your life. And of course there's a lot of other verses that says Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit in you, the temple, God is in you, the temple. So you're seeing that you are partaker of His divine nature, that you have Almighty God in you. And you know what that makes you? Little gods. No, 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 no. I just want to hear if you're listening. But it doesn't make you little gods. What it does mean is this, that if you have all of God in you and that the word of God is true, that means whatever he wants us to do, commands us to do, principled us to do, we have all of God to fulfill that because that's the most we're going to connect to him when we're connecting to his word by connecting to him. Now, that's enough for that. But go back to verse 19 again. The spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, who is that? The Holy Spirit. And that you are not your own, that's right, it's not my own, for you have been bought with a price, almighty God taking on the form of a human being and then making himself a a humble servant and then dying, but not any death, the death of the cross, a humiliating death. He was dead, 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 dead with the sin of the world on himself who is God in the flesh. That's the price. And he rose again from the dead with victory. Therefore, what does God tell us to do? Glorify God in your temple, which is your body. So that tells us now how we're supposed to take care of our body in so many different ways. All right, so he is in you, he is in you, he is in you. Go back to your notes, if you will. Back to uh, John 16. Go back to John 16. Because I want to give you some little things here to fill in to kind of make it real simple and little catechism sentences, if I could. Question number one is, how long is your relationship with Christ and how long is his relationship with you how long is his relationship with you through the ministry of the Holy Spirit it is an everlasting relationship mark that it is an everlasting relationship you see it up on the screen it's pretty easy and so while I'm giving you a lot of theology he died did all of this and all this is activity we do the believing so that becomes an intellectual and emotional a soul sense we do that but I want you to know it's more than just embracing doctrine it's embracing the person because True doctrine is all about the accuracy of knowing the person of Christ. So it's an eternal relationship. So yeah, you go to heaven. Yeah, you, you don't go to hell. You know, I got all that. And that's important. I appreciate all that. But it's to know that you're going to be with him forever. That's why the psalmist probably said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that desire beside you. Because it was a relationship. 
with Jehovah God. All right, second question is how does this happen? Not just be with me, but be in me. That's how it happens. How do I have that eternal relationship? Because now he is inside of me. Now, stay with me on this because you're getting this teaching, but I want to show you how this is going to take on greater meaning for some of you in a very special way in a moment. What is the result? Fill in this blank and put it in all capitals. I am not alone. I am not alone. I am never alone. I am never, ever alone. So let me be a little crass with you for a moment. That means when you go out and you get involved in an illicit relationship with someone, you are never alone. You can't leave Jesus in or the Spirit of God in your car while you go into some motel or hotel. You can't do that. You can't leave him outside of a bar or a saloon or something and just go hog wild with the world. You, you can't leave him anywhere. He is with you wherever you go. And that's why other verses says he grieves. He grieves because he's in you, the temple of God. You're the temple. He's in the temple. And you're taking the temple and you're desecrating it. And me too when I do things, thinking, talking, walking, and the things that I do. So he's ever, he, I'm never alone. So maybe use that a little bit as a governor to help your kids know that everything is naked and open before the Lord. So when they go off to school and they go to a ball game or they go on a so-called date or whatever, they are never, ever... You and I, we're old enough to remember the cartoons, you know, the, the little guy with the bandit, you know, the, the, the mask over his eyes. We'd all see the guys do the sliding along the buildings. How many saw those cartoons do that? Would you raise your hand? Good, I some of you remember that. Never once did I ever see those look up. You know, they never look up. Because that's the worldview. God doesn't see me. God sees us all the time. All right, get that. Let the Spirit of God drill it home to you. Bring about the conviction you need. Then deal with it properly. Confess it, forsake it, move forward. Now let me talk about the other side of it, which is a little bit more positive. That means you're never alone when you're alone and you feel so lonely. A short time ago, I mentioned Carol's sister, 33, died of cancer. Didn't want to be alone. I remember Richard Schumann didn't want to be alone when he died. Carol's father didn't want to be alone when he died. I think that that is a normal death thing when we know it's going to happen. I, we could make a lot of rationale. Why is it we want to be alone? You can spend all afternoon you know, thinking about that. But there may be a time that you're a military guy that you will die alone on a field. You may have a heart attack in your house or perhaps someone like a Jerry Falwell who dies right at his desk in his, in his office and be, be alone when they finally open the door. And they find, you may be that way. But you're going through that death time. Let me see if I can make it real pragmatic for you. <clears throat> if I was getting ready to die and I knew that I probably am going to die at any moment because I'm in the hospital, I mean, announced to me somewhat terminal, I don't want to be alone. I guess I'd appreciate a good doctor or nurse or technician there. So in case something, they might be able to slap me or do whatever, they, they're there to kind of get me back to life again. So if I had the choice of being alone and a techie kind of person like that, give me a techie person. I don't want to be alone. But if I had a choice between that techie person or one of you who I love, who I've been a part of for so many years, forget the techie person. I'd like to have one of you there. And let you slap me or do whatever you got to do to get me going again. I don't know. I have you do it. I, I want to I be with the people that I love. 
But if I had a choice between you and Carol, I'd just stay home. All right? I want my wife there. Now watch this. It may happen, and I, this is not a prophecy, but I may be in a place where that she can't get to me. And I'll always have the Lord there. So now let me give you the ultimate spiritual mindset to have. That now we need to be working on this relationship with the person of Christ, because he's in us, never alone, never forsakes us, so that if we get into a situation where we can't have that special person that might help us in that situation, Jesus is always there. And we're satisfied with him. And if others aren't there, a relationship isn't there, the most dearest person in your life isn't there, it is really okay because you are so close, so intimate with him that he satisfies your deepest need in your life, that you are never, ever... But here's what happens. We go to church all the time. You hear preaching like this. Theologically, he's always there, never forsakes you. He's going to be there to the end of the age, blah, blah, blah. We got all that. But then we're always screaming for other people. And you can fill in the blank all the reasons why. Let your mind go wild with that. Because we really haven't developed enough of a relationship with the Lord that we are totally satisfied. Watch this. Not with the doctrine that will never leave us, but with Jesus, the Holy Spirit. That will never leave us. And so now, I can't speak for you, but I want to be personally on a quest, a lifelong quest of developing my intimacy with the Lord so I'm not going to, quote, kiss off my wife and kiss off other people, and I don't need you. But if I am in a position where you can't help me for X reasons, I still remember he is always with me. He is always there. Now let me give you a little bit of a, take an edge off of that just a little bit. Some of you are high, touchy-feely people, so it's real easy to kind of, I think I'm experiencing the closest of the Lord. Others are more... Everything has to add up, black and white, A, B, C, fit into this box. And so everything is more technical with facts with you. And you struggle with intimacy with the Lord, at least what you think you do. And you might be surprised that you have more intimacy with the Lord because you have more accurate facts about Him and you're wrestling and you're getting all of that together. And it's all because, why? You are motivated to have that intimacy with Him. So don't always go on, feel Him. You know, it's not about that. It's about you know that you know that you know that you know that you are not alone. And that there is a presence there. And it is Lord. However you're defined. However you experience it. As long as you know it theologically correct. That's why you need to know about him. But you need to know him. All right. Last question on that is. How do I know that he is with me? I hate to give you this trite answer. But it is the answer. And that is because he promised he would never leave you. He, do I hear an amen on that? What are you all asleep? He promised he'll never leave you. He promised you'll never be alone. And God can't lie. He's the only one that's big enough and powerful enough to make a promise and keep a promise. That's the God that we have. So he's telling them this, guys. Guys, don't worry about it. I'm coming back, but I'm going to give you a helper that will be with you forever, no matter what you go through. And he put them through the most horrific life. All of them died a horrible, 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 embarrassing death, except for John. But he was so boiled in oil, I could only imagine what he looked like before he finally expired. The point still being, he said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. All right, the second part about the Spirit of God he will be in us, but that he also, he says, he will convict the world, which I need you to go a little bit further into the Gospel of John. He will convict the world. Now, some of you are hearing that, and it's kind of like removed. Okay, go get him, God. Sick him, God. You know, to the world, your worldly friends or relatives that are real, you know, irregular people in your life. And I understand that that's his job to convict, but I need to bring out some other things from this passage. So would you follow along with me? Verse 7 says, 
The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 8. And he, the Spirit, when he, the Spirit, comes, will convict the world. That would be the world system, not just plants and animals and stuff like that. But the world system, the thinking of the world, the philosophy of the world. He will convict the world. Now that word convict is a little bit more difficult to um, get in the Greek. Because it means to convince, it means to convict, it means to point a finger at. I'd like to maybe make it more contemporary. Would you let me do that for a moment? I'm going to date myself again, and I apologize for that. But when I see the word convict, I'd like to put two, two words in the word convict. I'd like to put the word, first word is the word Perry, and the second word is the word what? Mason, all right? Perry Mason. How many remember watching Perry Mason? Would you raise your hand? Okay, all right. Remember how you get the guy in the witness stand and it looked like, you know, he was probably pretty innocent. Perry gets up there and he begins to hammer and to question and to question and to question. And if it's a woman, she usually, I did it, I did it, I shot him, I shot him. You know, and the guy says, yeah, I did it, I did it. That's the conviction of the spirit, bringing the person to the point where they can own the crime. Now, that's the purpose of the spirit. But what does it convict him? How does he do all this kind of stuff? He says, convict the world concerning three things. You can number them if you want. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And by the way, have you ever wondered, why didn't it say convicts the world of judgment, sin, righteousness? Why is it in the order of sin, righteousness, and judgment? I think it's because that's the flow of how the Spirit brings us to a point of salvation. So let's show you how that happens. Go to the next part of it. It says, verse 9, concerning sin, he convicts the world of concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, I wish I had another hour because it doesn't say sins. It says sin. So the greatest sin you and I have is the sin of not believing in him. Now, watch up here. I'm going to give you some heavy theology real quick. All right. Jesus already paid for the sins of the world. All right. So that's already done. The greatest sin that condemns you now is not because you told a lie. Okay. It's because you haven't believed in him. John 3.16 says, believe in him, have eternal life. John 3.18 says, if you believe not, you're condemned already because you haven't believed. So the belief issue, or the lack thereof in Christ, is what condemns you to hell. So this is the sin. So he's convicting them that they have not embraced Jesus as the Lord God himself who went to the cross, who died, and they are sinners. You know, those of you that teach evangelism classes, tell me if this is not true. Isn't it easier... To get a man saved, but it's hard to get him lost. Did you catch what I just said? Did you catch what I just said? Hard to get him lost. In other words, you can give them the way of salvation, but it's hard for them to see how lost they really are. That they are totally separated from God. Condemned forever in a horrible place the Bible identifies and describes as hell. And when you start talking about that, all of a sudden it's not political, it's not uh, loving, it's not Christian to even do that. I'm saying, huh? 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 And I don't think you have to stand up on the hood of your car at some big event and say, you all are going to burn. I, you, that, that's horrible. You want to come alongside them and let them know Jesus who is the Savior. But they have to understand that they are a sinner. So he convicts them of their sin. And what is their sin? Again, it talks about it here. Their sin because they do not believe in him. That's the sin. Now it goes on to say, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will no longer see me. Now, why would it, how does that fit into righteousness? The only people that can go to the Father, the only people that can go to eternal glory, are those that are 100% righteous. So what he was really saying is, 
I am God. I am perfect. Stay with me now. I am perfect. You are not perfect. No matter how good you try to do, clean yourself off, do a lot of good deeds, pay a lot of money, none of your, all of your best is a filthy rag, Isaiah says. So none of that's going to get you. You need to have Christ's righteousness. And he says, I'll give that to you when you place your faith in Jesus Christ because he is righteous. So he is basically saying, you've got to be as righteous as I am because I'm going to get to go to the Father. Why can I go to the Father? Not that Jesus was good. He was perfect. He was God. So that's all part of that. Let's go a little bit further. Then he says here, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And we're not talking about the Hitlers and the Stalins and other people that we know even in our own lifetime. But the ruler of the world is going to be Satan himself. And he was already judged the very moment that he tried to be like God. And then he was kicked out of heaven. Then he was placed on this earth. And he was shaped into a, a, a serpent. And then he has been judged all along. He's got future judgment that's going to happen to him. So he's all underneath the judgment of God. Now watch this. Look up here. Look up here. Do you know that you and I are already condemned if we're an unbeliever? So we are already judged. And that's why we need to believe in Christ because that unlocks the door and sets us free from guilt and eternal judgment with God. And the Spirit of God is doing that. You're a sinner. You got to believe in Christ. Righteous, yeah, you got to be righteous, but you've got to be as perfect as Christ, and you're not. You'll never be. So He has to give you His righteousness. Second Corinthians five twenty one. And the world is judged, as Satan will be. Will, will Satan ever get out of not being judged? Is there ever a time that he can kind of have a aha moment? Say, you know what? I need to do. No, he's judged. And so right now, there's a time in our life that we have to realize we're underneath the judgment of God, but God's grace. And maybe His grace for you today is right now He is with the Spirit of God screaming at you. You need to trust in Christ. You're hearing the message. I'm not obligated to give it to you anymore. Will you trust Christ? That's the Spirit of God in the world. In you. And you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Because I go to the Father. Oh, God is so good. Let's go a little bit further here because I wanted you to see a little bit about the convicting of the world. So maybe you want to look at it as I put it out here for you. The Spirit convicts us of sin. I've got a problem. Who's that for? All of mankind. The Spirit convicts us of righteousness. There's only unique righteousness and power in Christ. That's Christ's judgment. The world is headed for disaster. Why? Because Satan is headed for disaster. And we have that to look in our life. And I pray that we see that. All right, now. How does he convict the world of those truths? It doesn't say that in the passage, does it? Can you give me a couple more moments here? This is going to go a little bit deeper, but listen carefully. How does he now convict the world of those three things? I believe he convicts the world of those three things at least from two areas, two sources. Uh, Ultimately, he's the source. The first source is going to be through you and me. Now, how do we, or how are we used of God to bring conviction to the world? When you and I choose to be Christ-like, godly, and let God live his life out through us, our very lifestyle becomes an enigma to the world. And so they then have to do business with either um, looking at us and uh, marginalizing us or kicking us out of their life, if you know what I mean, and maybe even killing us as Christians in the name of their own God. So they're all under this conviction because we're just trying to live for Jesus. I got an email from someone last night. She's seated here in the, the meeting. And she said, let me tell you this, that there was a pastor in uh, Africa where there's so much persecution right now, a particular hot spot in Africa, 
that is now killing Christians. And so this one pastor took his family, put them in a car, was driving them to a safe place like a hospital. And in the process of going there, they murdered him as a Christian in the name of their God. Now, saying all that to say this, we are a conviction to the world of this very thing just by our lifestyle. The second way we do that, watch carefully, is when the word of God either comes from our lips or from resource material or teaching on the radio, whatever, whatever, we're giving them written truth of the word of God in Christ and that is getting to the world and the world is hearing that. Now you say, wait, this is the spirit of God. You're saying the, the word of God. Watch this, watch this, watch this. We know that the word of God is called the spirit of truth. We also know it's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So when we live word of godly and we speak God's word, that's how the spirit uses all of that to bring conviction to the world. Now that ties into the passage that says that we're to be the salt and the light for Christ to this world. And that's why, again, we'll be marginalized and massacred for our faith. That's how he convicts them. Now, what should we be doing if we're going to depend upon the Spirit and the conviction of the world? Well, before I answer that, I want to give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of encouragement. <clears throat> see if I can t- put this together. <clears throat> that means when I choose, whether I'm a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, but I'm a Christian and I want to build God's kingdom in a sense, communicate the message and watch God build His kingdom, that kind of thing. When I do all of that, that means when I share the gospel with someone else, however I'm communicating that message... I am never alone when I do that. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.